Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. McCarthy announces a Biden impeachment inquiry. France's Macron visits Bangladesh. Ukraine claims to have retaken four Black Sea drilling rigs. Poland maintains its Ukrainian grain embargo. The U.S. sees record disasters in 2023. Amnesty warns of rights abuses stemming from the mining in the DRC. Trump asks the judge in the federal election case to recuse herself. Colombia's cocaine production surges. TikTok shop launches in the U.S. And a stolen Van Gogh painting is recovered. In our top story, McCarthy announces an impeachment inquiry against Biden. Here are the facts as agreed upon by USA Today, Reuters, Al Jazeera, Politico, Forbes, and Fox News. On Tuesday, U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, announced that the House Oversight Judiciary and Ways and Means Committees will lead a formal impeachment inquiry against President Joe Biden. McCarthy said Republicans who have a slim majority in the House will go where the evidence takes us. McCarthy also described the evidence of a culture of corruption surrounding the president and his son, Hunter. A White House spokesperson called McCarthy's announcement, quote, extreme politics at its worst, and noted that after a nine-month investigation, Republicans have found no evidence of wrongdoing by the president. McCarthy doesn't intend to hold a vote on whether to initiate the impeachment inquiry. Previously, the House in June voted along party lines to send a resolution, which accused Biden of dereliction of duty and abuse of power to the Judiciary and Homeland Security Committees. That served to delay the start of proceedings. McCarthy said the investigation will be led by the House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, with support from House Oversight Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, as well as Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith, Republican of Missouri. On this show, we separate the spin from the facts. Eric just laid out the facts for us. And now for our narrative spin, starting with the Democratic narrative from MSNBC. This disruptive political stunt is just an abuse of McCarthy's power and a usurpation of the will of the people. If this inquiry had the support of even half the House, McCarthy would have put it to a vote. Months of investigation have turned up nothing to implicate the president, but the far-right members of the GOP would rather distract from the real work they have to get done by stirring up more conspiracy theories about President Biden and his son. As expected, we counter that with the Republican narrative coming from Daily Wire. This is a legitimate investigation based on evidence uncovered by House committees of a pattern of the Biden family enriching itself through mysterious means while Biden was vice president. An impeachment inquiry will allow Congress to access even more information so it can make an educated decision. Biden and the Democrats should stop denigrating the impeachment process and instead cooperate to prove the president's innocence. And we have a nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community. They predict there's a 25% chance that Biden will be impeached by the U.S. House. How many presidencies have they used this impeachment threat? I mean, it seems like every... Since I've been alive, it seems like that's all they want to do is impeach a president. I'm, I'm, talking, both, I'm talking both sides of the aisle, too. Yeah, I know. It's kind of lost all meaning. There was a time when, oh my gosh, they're going to try to impeach the president. That's a huge deal. Right now, I, I mean, yeah, no one even blinks an eye. It's but they get they got to they got to come right. up with something new. You know, like a new word for yeah. it to get people's attention. Yeah, it's lost its it's lost its potency. 
Macron proposes a third way during his Bangladesh visit. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Le Mans, the Associated Press, Euro News, Al Jazeera, The Independent, and Reuters. On Monday, French President Emmanuel Macron denounced new imperialism in the Asia-Pacific and proposed a, quote, third way with no intention to bully our partners or to lead them to an unsustainable scheme. During his two-day visit to Bangladesh, Macron signed deals with Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina to facilitate loans for infrastructure development and provide Bangladesh with an Earth observation satellite system. The two leaders issued a joint statement expressing their willingness to advance the bilateral partnership to a strategic level as well as step-up defense cooperation, including on non-traditional security issues. Macron, the first French president to visit the South Asian nation in over three decades, also announced that Bangladesh's flagship carrier, Biman Airlines, had committed to ordering 10 Airbus A350, the former's first deal with the European plane maker. Macron's trip follows the outlining of an Indo-Pacific strategy to recommit France to the region in July, where he visited Papua New Guinea, Sri Lanka, Vanuatu, and the French overseas territory of New Caledonia. It also comes as Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov visited Bangladesh a few days before the G20 summit in New Delhi. While France is trying to sell its nuclear expertise, Russia is currently building a $13 billion nuclear power plant in the country. Scott, thanks for laying out those facts. The first spin is a pro-China narrative coming from Global Times. France's waning colonial influence in the Asia-Pacific has prompted Macron to desperately claim that PRC efforts to assist regional development amount to new imperialism, as if they were similar to aggressive U.S. moves. Such allegations are reminiscent of previous smear campaigns against China's international cooperation, revealing that Western powers unfairly judge Beijing by their standards. And the anti-China narrative comes from International Politique Quarterly. Under its long-standing foreign policy tradition of serving as a balancing power, France seeks to offer a viable alternative for, for countries not interested in the U.S.-China zero-sum game in the Asia-Pacific. However, even if Paris has refrained from describing China as an adversary, France has used naval diplomacy to show Beijing that Chinese actions threaten its overseas national territories. The Metaculous Prediction community gives us a nerd narrative. It says there's a 7% chance that Emmanuel Macron will cease being president of France before 2027. Ukraine claims to retake Black Sea drilling rigs from Russia. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Newsweek, The Guardian, Ukraine's Kapravda, and BBC News. Ukraine has recaptured four strategically important oil and gas drilling platforms located between Crimea and Odessa in the northwestern Black Sea the country's main intelligence directorate, or GUR, announced on Monday. The GUR stated that Ukrainian special forces had retaken the drilling platforms, collectively known as the Boyko Towers, in a unique operation. Russia had previously seized the towers in 2015, a year after annexing Crimea. During the operation, there was a clash between Ukrainian special forces on boats and a Russian fighter jet, which the agency claimed was damaged and forced to retreat. The GUR also claimed to have captured Russian helicopter munitions and a radar system that could track the movement of ships in the Black Sea. While its claims couldn't be independently verified, the GUR posted a 13-minute video from the operation showing Ukrainian soldiers moving in the Black Sea on rubber boats, confronting Russian aircraft and dismantling Moscow's reconnaissance assets. Though the GUR didn't divulge the timing of the operation, 
In its daily intelligence briefings on the conflict, Britain's defense ministry said on August 27th that there had been skirmishes around gas platforms near the coast of Crimea. Russia hasn't commented on Ukraine's claims. However, on several occasions in the past several weeks, the country's defense ministry has claimed to have intercepted a number of boats carrying Ukrainian troops west of Crimea. Thanks, Eric. We have a pro-Ukraine narrative from Kyiv Post. This well-executed operation wasn't just unique, but had extremely significant consequences for Ukraine. These platforms control valuable hydrocarbon resources and can be used as forward deployment bases, helipads, and potential sites for long-range missile systems. We follow that up with a pro-Russian narrative coming from TASS. In a late August attempt to shuttle Ukrainian forces in positions near Crimea, Russia's Black Sea Fleet destroyed four high-speed military boats and killed as many as 50 men. Ukraine's claims that it recaptured Black Sea drilling platforms from Russia are fabricated. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. They predict there's a 1% chance that Ukraine will officially recognize a former Ukrainian territory, Luhansk, Donetsk, or Crimea, as independent before 2024. Poland refuses to lift embargo on Ukrainian grain. Here are the facts. As agreed upon by Politico, the Associated Press, and Euronews. Poland will not lift its embargo on imports of Ukrainian grain, irrespective of what the European Commission decides later this week, the country's Prime Minister Matsus Morawiecki said on Tuesday. Poland will not allow Ukrainian grain to flood us, Morawiecki announced on X, adding, regardless of the decisions of the clerks in Brussels, we will not open up our borders. Morawiecki added that he had called on the EU to extend the ban on the entry of Ukrainian grain, or else we will do it ourselves because we can't allow for a deregulation of the market. Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, Bulgaria, and Romania have imposed an embargo on Ukrainian corn, wheat, sunflower, and rapeseed beginning April and mid-September this year, reportedly to prevent a supply glut in their home markets. In April, the Commission signed a deal with the above five EU countries to guarantee the transit of Ukrainian cereals after calling their import bans unacceptable. The deal followed protests by local farmers who complained they were unable to sell their crops due to an oversupply of Ukrainian grain in their markets, which also drastically brought prices down. Scott, thanks for those facts. European Pravda provides our first spin. It's Narrative A. Poland has helped Ukraine tremendously over the past several months, providing it with weapons and accepting its refugees. However, the latest development suggests that the honeymoon period is regrettably coming to an end. Ukraine has no choice but to challenge Poland's decision, which reflects a failure to show solidarity with its neighbor amid an overarching military threat to Europe. And narrative B comes from Politico. The influx of Ukraine's grain in Polish markets has decreased prices and negatively affected farmers' ability to make a living. Poland continues to support Ukraine, but its primary duty must be to protect its own national economy and the interests of its people. Metaculous Prediction community is contributing to this story as well with their nerd narrative. They say there's a 14% chance that Poland's GDP per capita in U.S. dollars will exceed that of the United Kingdom before the year 2031. The United States sets record billion-dollar disasters in 2023. Here are the facts from CBS, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, Time, and CNN. 
On Monday, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, or NOAA, reported that the U.S. has so far this year experienced 23 climate catastrophes and weather events, costing $1 billion or more each, breaking the previous record of 22 set in 2020. The disasters, totaling $57.6 billion in damages and claiming 253 lives, included 18 instances of severe weather, two floods, one hurricane, one wildfire, and one winter storm, with the costliest disasters including Hurricane Adalia in Florida, wildfires in Hawaii, and 145 tornadoes in the central U.S. over the course of two days. Besides Hurricane Adalia and the Hawaii wildfires, which cost over $1 billion and $5.5 billion respectively, other severe weather included a Minnesota hailstorm and storms in Nebraska, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. The NOAA's most recent estimate doesn't include the damage from Tropical Storm Hillary in California or the deep drought in the South and Midwest, as the agency is still calculating those costs. The 2023 Disaster Cost Index ranks behind America's costliest disaster year of 2017, which combined a destructive California wildfire season and major hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. The total cost that year was $383 billion. Earth Justice brings us the establishment critical narrative. The Biden administration has made bold commitments on climate and environmental justice, but halfway into his term, there are signs that he overpromised and underdelivered. In particular, there is little or no progress in accelerating the transition away from fossil fuels. More must be done. Follow that up with a pro-establishment narrative coming from Scientific American. While there's still a long way to go, Biden has made strong strides to address the climate issues, from the Inflation Reduction Act to setting concrete goals. The U.S. is well positioned to mitigate climate change, a crisis that can no longer be ignored or denied. And narrative C comes from Forbes. While climate change is an urgent issue, journalists and activists have an obligation to separate the facts from fiction and describe environmental problems honestly and accurately. The catastrophic framing of climate change does far more harm than good, not only by impacting the mental health of our youth, but by alienating and polarizing large portions of the population. Where does all that money go? When, when we're talking about spending money, I mean, I know we're, we're paying people to, to, uh, to fight the fires and things like that. You know, you're paying to replant trees. Where is this money going? I don't know, but it's, and I'm just trying to figure out, is the earth having trouble dealing with humans or are humans having trouble dealing with the earth? I think uh, if humans keep uh, poking the bear, the bear being earth, I think it'll start poking back. Man, that, that, that's how I feel I about think, it. I think, I think it already is. Cobalt and copper mining in the DRC leads to human rights abuses. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Amnesty International, The Independent, Forbes, NPR Online News, and ABC News. In a joint report published Tuesday, Amnesty International and the Initiative for Good Governance and Human Rights, or IBGDH, warn that the expansion of cobalt and copper mining in the Democratic Republic of Congo, or DRC, has led to forced evictions and severe human rights abuses. According to the report, a majority of cobalt mining is done by, quote, artisanal workers, or freelance miners, who work in dangerous conditions for minimal pay. Cobalt is a product used in the manufacturing of rechargeable batteries used to power smartphones, computers, and electric vehicles. 
The materials valued in the billions of dollars are mined by men, women, and children with their bare hands in toxic and extremely dangerous pits, author and Harvard academic Siddharth Kara reported in a separate expose. Batteries for smartphones and electric vehicles are reportedly made with approximately 7 grams and 13 kilograms of cobalt, respectively. By 2025, the amount of mined cobalt is expected to triple from the estimated 2010 value to a total of 225,000 tons. Around 80% of the world's supply of cobalt is reportedly located in the DRC, with 15-30% to 30% of it mined by artisanal workers. According to estimates by the U.S. Department of Labor, the cobalt mines are staffed by at least 25,000 children. As a consequence of the boom in mining, the report adds not only are human rights violations on the rise, but whole neighborhoods and city communities are disappearing as they're forced to relocate and find new livelihoods to support their households. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. The first spin is Narrative A, coming from the Geneva Center for Business and Human Rights. Global activists may be quick to boycott products made with cobalt sourced through artisanal small-scale or ASM mining, but it's often impossible to tell the difference between ASM mined cobalt and ethically sourced cobalt. It's up to the companies making products that require cobalt to ensure responsible mining operations that support local communities and guarantee just conditions for workers. Narrative B comes from the U.S. Department of Labor. Report after report has revealed the dangers and destruction that ASM mining is causing in the DRC. Increased demand has caused the ever-expanding industry to inflict even more suffering in the DRC. While companies must be at the forefront of combating this, it will take a multifaceted and international effort to ensure responsible mining is taking place. There's a cynical narrative coming from iVolunteer International. Exploitation and suffering in the DRC are nothing new, as the origins of these sordid practices go all the way back to the colonial period, in which the Belgians ruthlessly extracted resources from the country via incredibly brutal methods. Indeed, the current exploitation of the DRC is just another facet of contemporary imperialism and neocolonialism. As foreign powers and large corporations continue to extract the DRC's precious resources at the expense of the country's local population. At, at what point is it okay to start blaming the the DRC government for, for allowing this to happen? Can't they put some rules in place? Like, listen, yes, we will export our precious minerals to you, but you have to get it in the in the right way. Or someone just getting their palms greased. Somebody is getting paid. In the worst way possible. Somebody's getting paid. I mean, yeah. remember Shawshank Redemption when the, uh, the warden was making all that money on the side? Yeah. Am I being obtuse? In our next story, Donald Trump asks a judge to recuse herself in the election subversion case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Daily Caller, BBC News, Fox News, CNN, and Daily Mail. Lawyers representing former U.S. President Donald Trump on Monday asked U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, who is overseeing his federal election subversion in Washington, D.C., to recuse herself, saying her past public statements about the former president compromise her impartiality. The filing cites comments Chutkin made in a case she heard in October of 2022 involving a January 6th defendant, as well as a case she heard in December of 2021. Statements the filing argues are inherently disqualifying. In one case, Chutkin called January 6th, quote, nothing less than an attempt to violently overthrow the government, the legally, lawfully, peacefully elected government. 
by individuals who were mad that their guy lost. She later added its blind loyalty to one person who, by the way, remains free to this day. Trump's lawyers argue Chutkin's comments imply that Trump should be prosecuted and imprisoned and also claim her comments erode public trust. Chutkin, who was appointed by former President Barack Obama, was randomly assigned to Trump's case. She has been outspoken about January 6th, calling the riots an assault on American democracy and exceeding the prosecutor's sentencing requests in some cases. Trump is facing a maximum of 55 years in prison on four counts related to January 6th. The trial is set for March 4th, 2024. Thanks for those facts, Eric. The Guardian brings us the Democratic narrative. This is just another case of Trump's legal team throwing things against the wall to see what might stick in an attempt to delay legal proceedings from moving forward. Trump has filed recusal requests in other cases as well. Any judge with experience is going to have rulings and statements on weighty matters, but that doesn't preclude them from being impartial. These stall tactics won't work for long. PJ Media brings us a pro-Trump narrative for this story. An Obama-appointed judge like Chutkin should never have been allowed anywhere near this case in the first place. Her past comments aren't just indicative of someone who's biased against Trump and thinks the former president should be imprisoned. They mischaracterize the events of January 6th, a sign of her left-leaning bias. She should recuse herself. And we have another nerd narrative from Metaculus. This time they predict there's a 50% chance that Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before the year 2030. Columbia sets a new cocaine production record. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Wall Street Journal, Reuters, BBC News, Daily Mail, Bloomberg, and Al Jazeera. The U.N. Office of Drugs and Crime stated in a report released on Monday that the estimated cocaine output in Colombia, the world's biggest producer of the drug, increased by 24% in the year 2022, soaring to 1,738 tons and setting a new record high. This comes as satellite images showed the area cultivated with coca leaf. The raw material for refined cocaine rose to 230,000 hectares, or roughly 570,000 acres, last year in the country. Nearly two-thirds of the coca crops are reportedly grown in the provinces of Nerino and Putumayo, along the border with Ecuador, as well as in North Santander on the Venezuelan border. These are the highest numbers regarding both the amount of areas planted with coca in Colombia and the country's potential production of the illegal drug since the U.N. began monitoring in 2001. Colombia's Justice Minister Nestor Osuna, however, pointed out that the annual growth of coca plantings slowed to 13 percent from 43 percent in 2021, stressing this declaration may soon lead to a reduction in crops. This annual report came two days after Colombia's first-ever leftist president, Gustavo Petro, urged Latin America to shift its focus from a war on drugs to public health while speaking at a regional conference on the matter. Thank you, Scott, for those facts. The first spin is coming from The Economist. It's a left narrative. The decades-long war on drugs have completely failed to stop the flow of cocaine. As huge profits encourage drug trafficking gangs to adapt their smuggling methods, to prevent law enforcement, as well as to boost their productivity. As global production soars and the world gets awash with cocaine, it's evident that full-on decriminalization might be the only way to stem the violence. And Fox News brings us the right narrative spin. Given the international community has adhered to a unified drug prohibition approach, Petro has been dangerously put in Colombia on the brink of becoming a narco-state 
by changing the course of the war on drugs, legalizing the cocaine trade in the country will have negative security implications not only for Colombia, but for the entire hemisphere. I mean, from the sound of the fentanyl uh, uh, outbreak that's going on, we'd be lucky to be awash in cocaine because, you know, (laughs) I know, right? I know. At least it's pure. In tech news, TikTok shop launches in the U.S. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, ABC News, Associated Press, TechCrunch, CNN and Verge. TikTok's e-commerce service, TikTok Shop, has officially launched in the U.S. The company announced in a blog post on Tuesday. The popular social media platform has been testing its online marketplace since August and has added a, quote, shop tab to its app. It has also put affiliate videos in user feeds that will allow creators to earn commissions from products and created a logistics arm called Fulfilled by TikTok. TikTok spokesperson Laura Perez says more than 200,000 sellers have already registered for TikTok Shop, while 100,000 content creators have joined an affiliate program that allows users with 5,000 followers to create videos that will be pushed into TikTok's For You feed. ByteDance, TikTok's parent company, has been experimenting with online shopping formats in the UK and Southeast Asia and has been developing TikTok's e-commerce in the U.S. since last November. TikTok has had a long-standing partnership with Shopify to bring shopping solutions for businesses. TikTok Shop was already available to 630 million people around the world, and it's looking to use its popularity with younger demographics to grow its presence in the e-commerce space. Bloomberg says TikTok is looking to quadruple its merchandise sales and hit $20 billion by the end of 2023. TikTok Shop's U.S. rollout comes as state and local governments continue to ban the app over its affiliation with China. Despite the regulatory concerns, TikTok looks to expand into areas such as book publishing, music streaming, and messaging. ProductsUp.com brings us Narrative A. TikTok is one of the most powerful social media platforms in the world, and it is the future of any industry it chooses to enter. TikTok Shop will change the landscape of e-commerce since it has the built-in access to Gen Z that many other platforms lack. It has carefully ironed out the logistics to create an e-commerce platform that is easy to use and links buyers and sellers like never before. Narrative B comes from time. TikTok Shop might not be the smashing success many anticipate it to be, as there are many kinks in the company that needs to be ironed out before it can fully take advantage of its large pool of users. While it may be growing amongst certain groups, social commerce doesn't account for a large percent of total online shopping sales, and it could take quite some time for it to be a dominant part of e-commerce. Uh, Eric, have you seen my credit card? I'm, I'm looking for it. Uh, you know what? As a matter of fact... A Dutch art detective recovers a stolen Van Gogh. Here are the facts. As agreed upon by the Art Newspaper, Reuters, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, and ABC News of Australia. A 139-year-old Van Gogh painting stolen from the singer Lorraine Museum in the Dutch town of Lorraine has been returned following the work of Dutch art detective Arthur Brand. The painting, named the Parsonage Garden at Noonan in spring, is worth between 3 million and 6 million euro, or 3.2 million and 6.4 million American dollars. The painting was returned to Brand in a blue IKEA bag from an individual whose name has not been revealed. Brand, who has previously been termed the Indiana Jones of the art world, described the recovery of the painting as one of the greatest moments of my life. 
the detective worked alongside Dutch police on the case. In April 2021, a suspect was arrested and consequently found guilty for stealing both the Van Gogh painting as well as a Franz Hals painting from Leerdam. The art thief was sentenced to eight years in prison. The art detective claimed that the man who returned the painting had nothing to do with its theft. It is believed that the painting had been intended as a bargaining tool in order to gain a reduced sentence for separate charges. The Groninger Museum stated that while the painting had suffered, it was in good shape at first sight. It was added that the piece would remain at Amsterdam's Van Gogh Museum for a period of time between weeks and months before it is returned. Scott, thanks for those facts. The first spit is Narrative A coming from Sanction Scanner. Theft has remained a consistent problem in the art world since the dawn of civilization and spans from museums to art galleries to private collections. With the art market's value continuing to grow, the incentives to steal and engage in, quote, art laundering are only becoming more enticing. Enhanced security systems and improved legal protocols must be implemented if we are ever to see any change. And Narrative B comes from the Economic Times. Art theft is a major crime, but it's immensely hard to sell a stolen masterpiece after a heist. If art thieves realized how hard it was to sell what they had stolen, there would be far fewer art thefts in the world. This genre of larceny is not a cost-effective activity for most criminals. Well, that's going to use up all my free time over the next few weeks and years uh, <laughs> looking up this Arthur Brand guy. It sounds yeah, right. amazing. Well, I, I suggest you put an ear to the ground. Uh, a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the one that's growing out of my foot, <laughs> according to Van Gogh. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. Each day, we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. You can find out more information about Verity at verity.news. You can also download the Verity News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on the Verity Podcast. Thank you.